0: You're listening to a podcast from GravityChurch.com, Lodi, California. Every week, people from all over the Central Valley visit Gravity Church and experience an encounter with God. This podcast is from our July 10th meeting. Dustin talks about an encounter Jesus had with two people at different ends of the socioeconomic scale. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Gravity. We uh, hope you guys feel welcome here. We want you to feel like this is your home. And uh, For those of you that have never been to church before or actually kind of new to church, we uh, totally know that this is something that you might not have expected. This is, uh, we know we're a bit different. We actually get that, that pretty often. Um, but we, we like that. We like how we're different. And we actually feel that God has called us to be a bit different. We, we think that God has shown us this different way of knowing him. Not a different way, but, but just a different way, a different approach of understanding. And, and the truth is, it's, it's really different around here every week. Those of you that have made this place your home, you know that it's, it's, you never know what to expect, right? But uh, we, we actually feel that by making ourselves available and our resources available to our community and, and uh, people we come into contact with, it actually helps us show the heart of God to those people. And, and when we put our faith, what we believe, into action, and, and this thing that is planted in our heart, it just really shows this love of God that he has shown to us, right? But uh, we really want to get to know you guys, so if you leave it or not, make sure to say hi, have a cup of coffee, and, you know talk a little bit, but for the past few weeks, we've uh, talked about these uh, amazing encounters that people have had with God. We've been talking about what that means and, and how that changes someone, and how that after an encounter, you become this different person. And we've talked about what a disciple is. You guys remember that one? A disciple is a student, a pupil, or a follower. And we talked about what that means. When when we've had that encounter, usually what comes after that is we start to learn and we become this disciple and we're learning about these things that are happening to us, right? And what's even more exciting is some of you guys are actually taking what's happened to you out there and and in your workplace and the gas station and the most random places that you're sharing this thing that's happened and it's it's so exciting and we're, we're so glad to be a part of it. And it's just, it's a great time. But tonight I want to talk to you about this different, another encounter that Jesus actually had. And, and he had this encounter with these two people, and they were at different ends of the uh, socioeconomic scale, if you will. We had one person over here and one person over there, and, and they were at different ends of this scale. Yet they shared this commonality. They, they shared this similarity. Obviously, they're human, Right? And, and when we're human, we have this character trait, is that we break easily, and we find ourselves so often that we're broken and, and wrecked, and just an absolute mess, but Jesus has this encounter with him, and we're going to go through this, and, and we know that, that Jesus actually made it his mission to go out and find these wrecked, broken people. That was what he did. He, he traveled from town to town and. And he ministered with healing, addressing the physical needs that they had. And then he spoke into their heart, and he, and he fixed this condition with, within them. And that's when the real change started to happen, right? Well, where we pick up on the story, Jesus and his disciples, they're in this boat, and they arrive at the shore of this lake. If you guys have your Bibles, if you could turn with me to Mark 5. And the words are going to be up on the screen but I'll read them to you. If we go to Mark 5, verse 21, it said, When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So, so Jesus barely gets out of the boat. He, he's just stepping out of the boat, and he finds himself surrounded by this crowd. And, and, we're, and from reading the New Testament, we're finding that this is pretty common. Wherever he goes, he's just surrounded by these people. And, and this guy, I mean, he was healing their sick, and, and, and people are just drawn to him. And this guy, Jairus, comes up to him and asks him this, to heal, heal his daughter. But, you see, that wasn't too unusual, because we know that wherever he went, that actually happened. But what was unusual about it is Jairus. Now, who is Jairus? To understand what an unusual request this was, you really have to kind of understand who Jairus was. Mark says that Jairus was a synagogue leader and, or a synagogue ruler, and, and this job was like an administrator. And he would have this position in the church, and his job would be to, to run the place, and, and he would share this position with other people, and it was, a, it was kind of a, a lofty position. And, and they would choose who would pray in public. They would choose who would read the scriptures, and they would talk, and they would decide who would actually preach. But it would be also their job to maintain order in the church and and make sure that people that weren't supposed to be there, and they had these laws and rules and traditions, and all of these things would have to be enforced. Well, that was the job of Jairus. That was his job. It was this prestigious, high-ranking thing. And, And a few weeks ago, I talked to you with you about this guy named Paul and how Paul was a Pharisee. Paul and Jairus, would, if you were to classify them, they would be in the same category. They're part of the infrastructure. They're part of the establishment. It was, they both had like similar jobs, okay? But Gyrus, for him to fall at the feet of Jesus, this would be a big deal. Because in, in doing so, he would have to turn his back on everything that he was. Much like Paul did, he would have to defect to the other side. So he he loved his young daughter, right? And and this love for his daughter, it it changed everything. It it elevated his thinking, right? And and unfortunately, it's it's these painful events that sometimes cause us to really analyze our thoughts and and our actions and the things that we do day to day. Sometimes it's the painful events that get us to really take a closer look at our lives. And and Jairus was in this place and, and he decided, I love my daughter. And even my power, my influence, my position in the church cannot save her. And there's nothing I can do, right? Have you ever had to ask someone you didn't like for help? Have you ever been in a place where your choices didn't, none of them really seemed very good at all? Have you ever had to kind of suck up your pride and kind of grovel over to somebody and ask for help? That's kind of gyrus here. I had to do that once. I had to uh, ask my mother-in-law for some money. And uh, believe me, that was desperate. Quite humbling. <laughs> but, yeah. But for Jairus, this was an act of desperation. You see, because turning his back on everything and, and walking away from this life that he had been living and his position in the church. And, and I would imagine that, that his friends in the synagogue, if they were to see him at the feet of Jesus, they would have flipped out. To see him at the feet of anyone? Because what does that say about him? Does it question their faith? Does it question everything they're doing? So Jairus is at the feet of Jesus. And it was such a radical departure, right, from from what he normally thought. And what he was thinking now was humility. When we talk about eating our pride, it it required humility on the part of Jairus to do this. And, And we find from reading the Bible that Best stuff happens when we embrace humility. You see, sometimes we need to realize that we're a wreck. We need to know that there's absolutely nothing that we can do within our power to gain God's love. It's therefore it's already. And when we realize that and when we come to the fact that we can just sit here and accept the all-encompassing glory and grace of our Savior through that humility, hope, is actually born and this is something that Jairus was feeling right now at this moment laying down his life walking past that and and turning to Jesus for this and it was an amazing thing but he came to terms with this he was desperate right his his lofty position up here it, it didn't matter anymore all that mattered was his, his daughter was dying and if it took falling at the feet of Jesus to make her better so be it is there is there any parent here that wouldn't do anything for their kid I mean, I would would do anything. And and I think Jairus is feeling that right now. But even though his colleagues and his peers would never look at him the same again, it didn't even matter. You see, because when we show that humility in our desperate, most darkest times, God just comes through for us. And it's an amazing thing. See, in that moment, when he did that, He actually died to himself. And and now the Savior is walking alongside with him, and he's filled with hope. All of a sudden in his head, he's not thinking that she's going to die. He's thinking, I have the cure. And when we get there, everything's going to be better. And he's still human though, right? He still thinks like a person. And and his daughter's about to die, and and he's in a hurry. and And a clock, his sundial, if he had a clock, would be ticking, and he'd have to get there. Right away, right? But there was this crowd in the way. It said there was crowds everywhere, and this crowd was surrounding them. And Jairus would have been in such a hurry. I mean, the Savior has agreed to come to his house and heal his daughter. But how is he going to get there? This, this crowd is just crowding them, and they had no time to mess around. There would be this sense of urgency. Have you guys ever seen an ambulance driving with the lights and sirens? In rush hour traffic. That's Jairus and Jesus. These crowds of people surrounded him. Jesus was notorious for healing people and speaking truth into their lives. And people were just drawn to him and it was no different this day. From the moment he stepped out of the boat, he was surrounded. And on this day when Jairus would step off of his lofty platform and humble himself before the Son of God, crowds surrounded him. This must have driven him crazy. If you think about who he was, I mean, his very position in the church was to maintain order, to make sure things that happened on time, and and, and now all these people were in the way, and he had to get home. See, at this point, Jairus was being stretched. His clock is ticking, and, and he's being stretched, and this crowd is surrounding him, and he has to get home. Verse 25, and a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Talk about throwing a wrench into the pitcher, right? Talk about screeching to a, a complete halt. Now, now we have this woman. I mean, he's rushing through, and he's got the disciples with him, and they're going and 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 he could barely make it through this crowd, this mob, and and this woman shows up. This wasn't any woman, though. It says she was sick for over 12 years, and and she had this condition, this ailment that no doctor could cure. She spent everything, right? Have you guys ever thrown all your money at a problem, hoping that it would get better? And it only got worse, right? This woman was in that place. She felt wrecked. How, How discouraging discouraging is that? I recently, uh, my wife's going to laugh at me. I recently bought a car on Craigslist. And uh, I met with the guy. And I looked at the car. I actually test drove it. And it seemed like a really, really nice car. And and, uh, so I paid the guy the money, and I take it home. And all of a sudden, I get it in the house or at the house, and I'm starting to see all kinds of little things wrong with it then it won't start. And then I go to the DMV and I can't register. And then I have to go all the way to the Bay Area to get the guy that owned it. The guy didn't even own it. And I had to find the guy that owned it to sign it. And it was a wreck. And it seemed like no amount of money would get this thing running and legal and and going. And Anyway, don't do that. Bring a mechanic with you. But this ailment that this woman had would preclude her from living a life like anybody else. I mean, she she had this sickness that that she wasn't allowed to go into the church. She couldn't come into here if this was back then. And check this out. It would would be the function of Jairus to tell the temple guards to keep her outside. I wonder if he recognized her going through this crowd and, and getting Jesus to his house and all of a sudden there's this woman. Verse 27 says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. So this woman who had tried everything and lost everything and given everything to these doctors, and it's still not better. She comes into this picture, and, and the doctors, they, they didn't have the kind of clinics and hospitals that we do. There wasn't blood tests. There wasn't x-rays. There was none of that. If you read about the medicine back then, these guys were they're doing weird stuff like grinding horse teeth, with ostrich eggs, and drinking it. She would have done that. She would have went through all these different medicines, all these different doctors. She was wrecked and desperate and hopeless. So it says that she thought if she touched this cloak, everything would be better. What is it about a cloak? You see, the cloaks back then were a symbol. They're a symbol of authority and power. And, And I bet Jairus probably had a nice cloak in his position, but they meant something to them. And have you guys ever been, any guys ever been fitted for a suit? Not me, because I don't wear suits, but I heard that if you go get fitted for a suit, the salesman will say, and over here we have our power suits. And I didn't even know what a power suit was until my friend told me, but it would be like a power suit. It was a symbol of authority and, and reputation, and, and it would be embellished with jewels and tassels, and, and people would see this and immediately recognize their authority right? You see, Jesus didn't have one of these cloaks. It doesn't say anywhere that he had one. But he did have this ministry that was touching lives, right? And, and the woman knew about this. Jairus knew about this. So she sees Jesus as this authority and this healer. And she thinks, if I just touch his cloak, I'll get better, right? So she does. She touches a cloak and verse 29 says, immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now, ha- has anybody ever been to a concert in the front row, in like the mosh pit, where it's just body to body, and you're just listening to the music, and your friend says, hey, did you touch me? And you're looking around, and he's surrounded like a sardine full of people, and it's like, why are you asking me that? There's people everywhere. Well, that was Jesus, and and. The disciples are like, verse 31 says, you see the people crowding against you, and yet you ask who touched me? Verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. How long do you guys think the whole truth took for this lady? Twelve years of sickness and doctors and all this, I Jairus is looking at this clock saying, time is of the essence here. And, and this woman's delaying them, right? She talks about this medicine and how and, and Jairus won't let her in the temple and, and she's cast out from society, right? Jesus addresses her in verse 34. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. See, Jesus makes it clear to her that it was her faith that had healed her. Her believing was what has healed her. Not this Not this cloak, not this inanimate object. It was her faith, right? But in the meantime, Jairus is just waiting. He just wants to get home. He just can't make it fast enough, right? And he's probably thinking to himself, she's been sick for 12 years. What's a few more minutes going to do? Can we just go heal my daughter? Then he can come back to her? I mean, he's growing impatient, and he's being stretched every second that he's being delayed. He's still got to get home. He's still got this crowd to get through. And now this woman is telling her life story. Verse 35 says, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. So, here's where the story, it turns for Jairus. Okay? He sees these guys approaching them, who should be at his house. You guys know that a lot can be said from facial expressions. That sometimes you don't even have to say something to someone, you can just look at them and they kind of get the point. I would imagine that the look on these guys' face as they they walked up to Jairus told everything. And in that moment, his heart would start to sink. He would start to think, is it over? Is it too late? She has to be gone. Why are these guys here? They should be at home watching her. But I love it because, sure enough, they say the words he was dreading. They say the exact words that no parent Ever wants to hear verse 36 your daughter is dead why bother the teacher anymore so now he he hears it he's already thinking it he's already being stretched right now his faith is on a knife's edge just teetering ready to fall anyway and it's like dropping a bomb on him hearing those words because words are powerful right Words are powerful. And and moments before, he was just full of this hope because he knew he had the creator with him and they were going to make things better. Things were going to be fine. And now his friends come up to him and say, why bother? Have you guys ever had somebody speak that kind of negativity in your life? In a moment where you were feeling pretty good about things, somebody tells you, why bother? What does that do to you? Why bother? Why bother? stop drinking? Why bother to to start a new life? Why are you even bothering? Because you're going to come back to it. These are things that start chipping away at our faith, right? I love this part. Verse 36, Jesus says, or the Bible says, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. And I got to tell you that I love that part. I love those words, I love how Jesus just tunes these people out and ignores them. He says he ignored them. And he looks at Jairus and says, don't be afraid, just believe. You see, it's our, it's our intellect that betrays us, right? Sometimes it's, it's our thoughts that mislead us, and they take us down this course where there's nothing but a lack of faith. And Jesus steps in at this moment because he saw Jairus starting to doubt, and he reminds him that all he has to do is not be afraid and just believe, right? Because it's in the worst of times, it's in our darkest moments, in our darkest hour that he comes through for us and he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Verse 37, they're, they're moving on now. Jairus is stressed still, right? The crowd, the woman, now these guys saying that she's dead, he's, he's, He's being stretched. It says he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. You See, in those days, people would hire mourners and wailers to actually cry at your funeral. And you would pay them to do this. It was strange, but it'd be much like us hiring a DJ to play music or, or somebody to cook for your, your guests at a wedding. And they would be part of this burial ceremony and they would be paid for their mourning. That's what they did. It was their job. And, and Jairus probably hired them anticipating this. From the way it reads, it almost sounds like these guys were on standby waiting, anticipating for this girl to die so they could start mourning, right? And it reminds me of these vultures spinning in the, in the air just waiting. And it would, as he walked up to his house, having already been stretched, his, his face... Seeing this would be stretched more. His faith would be stretched more and more. Every step he took towards his house. Verse 39, He says, He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him, and he put them all out. He took the child's father and mother, and the disciples who were with them, and went into where the child was. Now, those of you that have have seen death before, if you were in this room, you would recognize it. If you were there, you would would see this girl lying on her bed, and you would see that her eyes were lifeless, and and the pupils weren't reacting to light. Her her chest would be absent of a heartbeat, and, and there would be no movement of her chest to indicate breathing at all. And her skin would start to feel colder by the moment, and her lips would look a bit blue. And he would see these things and he would recognize it and, and Jairus would know it too. And, and upon entering the room, he would see his lifeless child and his faith would be stretched again. It just did not stop for this guy. It kept coming and coming every time he turned around. And, and he would see that she's obviously gone and, and he'd be just boggled in his mind because on one hand he has a savior saying, don't be afraid, just believe. And on the other hand, he'd, he'd see what his eyes told him. What everybody else around him was saying, why bother? She's dead. And in his head, he would start playing those words. He'd start thinking, I'm believing. He would have to say it. Maybe his wife said it with him. They, they would say, I'm not afraid. We're going to believe. We're going to believe, right? And as they, as they stood there in the quietness of the room, this, this mother and father, and they're away from the crowd. Jesus put them out, and the mourners are gone now. They see Jesus, and he reaches out and he takes this girl's hand. And they're watching him, and they start to hear Jesus speak. His mother hears this word that she may have said to the girl herself on a thousand mornings. When this family would get up and start their day, she hears him say, Talitha Kuom. These words mean, little girl, I say to you, get up. And in that moment, this girl would start to breathe and her lungs would fill with air and her heart would start beating and her eyes would come to life. And it says that she got up and started to walk around this room. And and her mom and dad would be on the ground just crying in happiness. And Jesus, he would have this ear-to-ear smile because he loves to heal his children and he loves to make them whole. And tonight, he is saying to you, and he's holding your hand if you're in that place, saying, I want to wake you up from this nightmare of a life that you have been living. Some of you are hearing that, and some of you are feeling that. It wouldn't be uncommon on on a Saturday night for that to happen. We get that often. Or maybe you've been here a while, and you need to hear those words again that, that Jairus had heard earlier. Don't be afraid. Just believe these powerful words from our Savior that that encourage us and they remind us that everything is going to be okay. These are strong words, and they they mean so much, and I I love hearing them. I actually say them to myself sometimes, and it's a reminder to me. You guys, it's, it's important to us that you understand that this love that we have for God and He has for us is available to you. We don't want ever for anybody to leave this place and not know that. We want you guys to take advantage of it because it's available to everyone. In a few moments, we're going to take communion, and that's something that we do every week here. We We take the bread and we dip it into this grape juice and it reminds us of this thing that Jesus did for us. And we do it every week and it's a great reminder and we're going to invite you to do that. But we want you to spend a moment examining your heart. And if you need somebody to pray with you, if you need to hear those words, not to be afraid and it's going to be okay, then we're here to do that. We love you, and there's people here that want to pray with you. And if you're here and you're saying, it's time for me to wake up from this dream, and I'm feeling that, we want to pray. You've been listening to gravitychurch.com.